This is Space Waffles, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome to Space Waffles. I am your host, Arzu, and with me are my fellow waffles, Candace. Hey! And Maggie. Hello! So today, we're having the conversation I have been waiting to have since we got copies of these books way back several months ago. I'm ready for this conversation. I hope the two of you are as well. We are talking The High Republic, Wave 2, spoiler heavy. This is your warning right now, less than a minute into this, that it is all spoilers all the time. Are you two excited? So excited. Yes. I have feelings. I have emotions. Excellent. Feelings, excitement. Clavin Scott's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's on all of our lists because he knows what he did. Cav knows what he did. Oh, he says he doesn't. He says he's never done anything wrong in his life. I've seen his Twitter. Of course. Of course. That's exactly what a guilty man would say. That feels deeply untrue. He knows exactly what he did. All right. So let's let's just warm up before we dive into the books and really start with the nitty gritty. So what are your impressions of The High Republic so far? I know I'm generally very loud about this, but... I personally like Phase 2 a lot more than Phase 1. I think it's just because we get get more character development. I completely agree. And I think in part it's because we've had the comics and there was so much synergy between the characters that were introduced in Wave 1 and then the characters that we've gotten to see with the comics. And so many of those characters were mingling together in wave two, which really helps solidify the characters and who they are and their kind of likes and dislikes and kind of knowing where they all are at their like personal journey. Cause I know wave one, I had a really hard time not relating to characters so much as finding something in them that I could see like the through line for because they were still so new. And this wave has really helped me be like, yeah, that is a hundred percent my favorite character. Um, but yeah, I love the High Republic so much. I feel like I am a broken record because I just like, I start talking about it like on my YouTube channel or something. And I'm like, I love it so much. <laughs> I I agree. I think I was joking with somebody yesterday that the High Republic has officially become about 50% of my personality. Um, and I agree with both of you that it is a lot of it to do with the characters. And I agree that Wave 2 has been a lot stronger character wise. And I think that's just because they no longer have to set up the era plus the characters. Like we know Mm -hmm. where we are, what's going on. And now it's just about who is inhabiting this time period, better or worse hero villain. Like we know who the key players are and now we can enjoy them. So talking about characters as we, as we just did, who are your standouts so far? (laughs) Maggie and Ro. Ro. I'm only here to keep you guys like, on topic. <laughs> you okay, are but our like, Martian row buffer. <laughs> but even if you're like, no, stop talking about the Nile, like I will just immediately pivot to Stellan Gios because good lord that man. Don't know what's worse. <laughs> I think um they're not so much in the books as much as they are in the comics, but Lula and Kiev are definitely two of my favorites, particularly Kiev. Uh, and then Elzar Man, obviously, for like very specific reasons, uh, shot to the top of my list, uh, especially yeah. in the Rising Storm. Uh, and also, I love Nan. Um, so oh, I, Nan I, I, I feel like I feel like there's like an even balance between the Nile and the Jedi. But I also don't trust the Jedi. So <laughs> <laughs> just because you mentioned Lula, I do want to I do want to shout her out. She's mostly in the IDW comics. She's also in Race to Crash Point Tower. And mm-hmm. I love this girl so much. Because, like, of all the characters, she's the one I relate to the most. Mm-hmm. Because she does have that, like, gifted kid of mentality of, like, everybody told me I was special. And then you get in the wider world and see that there are other people who have achieved, like, the same, if not more than you have. And you're like, I guess I wasn't that special and the disillusionment that comes with it. It's it's a gifted kid thing. And I, like, feel totally that. <laughs> so and speaking of, like, gifted kids, Vern is another one that I love as well. She's my favorite. She is such a, such a darling. She's great. Um, and of course, she was introduced in Wave One. She's, and then she's in Race to Crash Point Tower and what Out of the Shadows. Yeah, she's I love her. Definitely, definitely a key player. And she's Candace, she's I know another she's your one favorite. of those. Yes, another one of those like special kids that. Yeah, no, know. I definitely felt the gifted kid thing with her too. Is like <laughs> you're gifted, but like you have all this knowledge, but you still like haven't lived yet, and he's watching her live. <laughs> her That's such an important li- part of who she is too. 
I feel like of the characters that I related to, I related to Elzar Man. <laughs> I got scared you were going to say Martian Rao. No, well, that's, yeah, me. Obviously. that's me. Obviously. Um, but no, Elzar Man, because he um, he's a pioneer uh, for somebody who's like out of reach. And that's very much my personality. <laughs> So, uh, but also I loved, I loved Elzar Man because he, unlike Anakin, was like, maybe I need to talk to someone. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad we're on Elzar because Elzar is an excellent segue for us to jump right into the books. So we're going to start with The Rising Storm, which is the adult novel of Wave 2. And this is, quick recap, set at the Republic Fair on Valo where the Republic and the Jedi have decided to pretend that nothing's wrong. We're going to have an Epcot World's Fair on this planet. We're going to show how great the Republic is. And the Nile are like, I don't think so. And they show up and cause destruction. One might say it's a small world after all. Okay. (laughs) So I love that this, I love that this book includes it's a small world, Star Wars version, (laughs) just as little as a little nod, but okay. Jumping into the book, let's talk Elzar Man because we were because we were just talking about him. So what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, <laughs> what a man. All right, Candace, you want to kick us off? Thoughts on Elzar Man? He's interesting. <laughs> no, no, you would like describe like I'm okay. interested in seeing how certain Jedi do things. Multiple times. Multiple, multiple times. Elzar multiple acts, man. I'm just saying Avar is missing out. I don't get it. I genuinely don't. I clearly can't, I can't picture icing this man out. This is a man who is eager to please. This so. I can and is this. It's been a while since I read this book. Okay, it's but not well, really. He is the Roy Kent of the High Republic. Stop. Oh my god. I'm tweeting that right He's now. He's a CGI character? <laughs> I love that though. Oh my god, she. But like Maggie's right. He is okay. Th- we're only saying this because of that line that has now become infamous, where Elzar wakes up naked in Samara's apartment, and he's like, "I'm running late." Runs around to get his clothes, and he's like, "If only we hadn't gotten so caught up in that act." Acts plural, and it's like, "Sir," like I said, very eager to please. But beyond Elzar Man's sex life, I feel like when we meet him in. So when we meet him in Light of the Jedi, I did not think he was going to be this interesting. And I don't just mean in terms of like having sex (laughs) in the book, which like we don't see Jedi do very much. And I'm like, okay, great. But I kind of thought he was like there as a counterpart to Avar and like he's a little more loose cannon than she is. Mm -hmm. But like this is a guy who feels so deeply and it's like he loves love so much. And not just like romantic love, like he loves everybody in his life so much that he's willing to like touch the dark to make sure they're okay. Mm -hmm. And he will go to those extremes. And I did not see this coming for Elzar, but I'm kind of glad it did. See, I, I actually saw it coming for him with light of the Jedi. I felt like he was going to be a very important character in the arc because they were setting up that kind of brush with the dark side. And I wondered if we were going to get, especially with that whole vignette of him and Avar on, I'm blanking on what planet they were on. They weren't on Naboo, were they? Were they? Yeah, they were. They yeah, were they Naboo. were. Okay, I was like, I was like, did I make that up? Yeah, <laughs> that whole scene, I was like, oh, are we gonna get some like? It, it's like poetry. It rhymes with Anakin and El- like Elzar. Like, are we gonna get some of these like echoes through time? Uh, just because of them choosing Naboo and him having this weird like thing going on with Avar. Uh, so I'm really keen to see if that happens because I think that could make for really um, interesting discourse. I'm excited. To see I'm so where excited. This goes. <laughs> I'm scared of the falling star, especially because, okay, I don't agree with this theory that's been going around, but I do feel I need to say it, that there does seem to be some kind of idea that because Stellan has like a Latin root sharing with the word for star, that the fallen star might refer to Stellan Geos. And first of all, I don't want to spend another winter time sobbing over a fictional man. If you could see my face right now. <laughs> I, I just don't want it. But also, I just, I don't know. I'm afraid of this book for many reasons. I don't think everybody's going to make it out alive. But at the same time, don't hurt my baby boy, Stellan Geos. Again, I will say the name Stellan is German for calm. <laughs> I love I love that you come in with the sanity <laughs> it, and help it's because- stop this. <laughs> 
it's because I have an ancestor whose name is Stellan. I remember looking it up and being like, oh my God, there's a, there's a character in a Star Wars book that has the same name as an ancestor of mine. It's fine. I, I am actually of the mind that it's going to be the Starlight Beacon, that they're going to take a far more literal uh, kind of a, approach to it since the Starlight Beacon, as far as we know, is not around in the future. I like this approach. I think it would be interesting if the Starlight Beacon fell because then where do we go from there? And that's like, honestly, if this entire multimedia project is all about what do the Jedi fear, having the Beacon of Hope, which they've literally built, fall would definitely be something that I could see them being like, ooh, maybe we're not so great. (laughs) So, okay. So jumping ahead a bit to... I guess other other characters in this book. So we we're talking about Elzar and the people he is connected to, and like a lot of the interpersonal relationships on the I'm going to say the light side of things in this book seem to stem from like Elzar and his friendships. So we have Stellangios, who we were just talking about, and I would like to talk about again um, as kind of like the counterpart, I guess, the Obi Wan to Elzar's Anakin, but unlike our prequel trilogy buddies, these two talk about their problems. So thoughts on Stellan. Am I the only Stan present? I like him. I Yeah, I like him too. I'm waiting to get more. I feel like he's in an Elzar position now. Like you get a little bit of him and then the next book, like we'll get more of him. So you don't think the next book's going to be Avar? No, I feel like she's their like final, the final card in the deck because she's had so much going on with the comics right now. And like, she's been kind of pulled away from the central plot. Hmm. Maybe it all like, comes to a head. Yeah, I feel like she's like last wave kind of potential. Isn't that, the, that is the last wave for this phase though. <sighs> but is it? That's what they said. They I said know. wave three was the end of phase one. I know, but the phases are what confused me. Maybe like the beginning of phase two. Oh, true, true, true. Like picking up the pieces from the fallen mm-hmm. starlight beacon. Yeah. I really would like some stories of like them as Padawans together, the three of them. Yes. Just, you know, what went on there? Wouldn't it be nice if they decide to launch phase two? Yeah. Phase two, like not in the summer like they did with wave two, but like the next January and then next summer we get just a bunch of prequel stuff about them. So I do have more to say about Stellan, but I want to save that for later when we're talking about Vernestra because I think it's important. But moving on to another character that we meet for the first time in this book, but who is also in a comic series of her own, Ty Yorick who has some interesting stuff going on on her own, but also in terms of her usage of the force with Elzar. Um, Well, what I like about Ty York, like the concept of her is it's not completely shocking to people that she like left the Jedi order. She is a former Jedi. Dooku was well known when he left, but like people don't know her. It's, I don't know. It's weird. We sort of, well, actually, we don't actually know this yet because the monster of Temple Peak is still coming out. But in the first issue of that comic, she, like, we see her as a Padawan in the temple, but we don't know beyond that. So if she left, like, much earlier than Dooku did, like, when she was still a teenager. It yeah, maybe might, that's something that that's common. Maybe. Like, do you only become a lost 20 if you leave when you reach knighthood? Yeah. Maybe it's like the Amish. They're allowed to go out in the world and just change their mind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's very that's very possible. Like maybe we will learn that that is a thing and it happened so much that they stopped telling Padawans that that was an option. Especially during war times when they needed all those Padawans. The Jedi are sus. The Jedi have always been sus. I love them, but like. They're very sus. I do not trust them one bit. They're in bed with the government. I can't get behind that. Speaking of the government, the Republic is also sus. Some of us have said this before. Maggie and I, in particular, Candace, I don't know where you stand on this. Do you also think the Republic is sus? All large governments are sus. So we actually see in this book that the government itself is not all kind of on the same page in terms of disasters, in terms of the Nile threat. So we have a senator whose name is Senator Toon who seems to think that the Republic needs some kind of defense force of their own. And Lena says, like, it's not a problem. It doesn't matter. And he's like, but you're spending all this money on frivolous stuff. You could be spending it on making sure that the Nile don't attack again, and then the Nile attack again. 
we know the Nile have a spy in the Senate. And Maggie, I know you have a theory about the Nile spy anyway. But yes. we know the Nile have, the, have a spy in the Senate. Do we think it's too obvious for it to be Senator Toon? Does that not make sense because he's advocating for defense? No, I think it's like, it would be, it's good to have another side of the Senate and he's not just a Nile, you know? Like to see the senators quabbling and arguing about it. So I would hope it's not him. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would be either because I don't think he'd be trying to make it harder for the Nile. But I feel like that's what they want us to think, that because he doesn't fall in line with Chancellor So that he might be a Nile. But I also agree with him in terms of like what the Republic is doing wrong. So I, I would agree with you, Candace, and that I hope that's not what's happening here. But Maggie, you had a theory about who the Nile spy is. <clears throat> yes, I do. Uh, I believe that speaking of Elzar Man and his lady love, Samira, I remember reading the book and getting to the part where Elzar wakes up alone and thinking, it's kind of weird to, you know, not at least be like, hey, it's time to go to work. Wake up. Because he was like late for the day and everything. And I just, I just thought... Wouldn't it be a great opportunity to get some information out of the Jedi's quarters if you leave first, if you don't wake him up, if you look around, kind of feed information back to maybe who you're working for, which I think is the Nile. Uh, so I'm I'm fully of the mind that Samira is the, if not one of the spies that the Nile have, because I feel like they probably have more than just one. Yeah, I don't think it's just one administrator and like, on a mid-rim world. Wouldn't it? be a great idea to hook up with the Jedi to get information. It would be a great idea to hook up with the Jedi. I mean, I mean, for many reasons. I mean, what? <laughs> um, but I mean, like loose lips sink ships, um, you know. And Elzar man's got the loosest lips in the mid room. He truly does. We love him for it. And then like, she literally vanishes. There's like no really further mentions of her uh, in the latter half of the book when everything's going to hell on Valo. She's just, She's just there when they're cleaning up at the end. And she's like, that was nice. We don't need <laughs> and, to do that again. And I was like, interesting. It's almost as though the Nile were like, okay, well, can't kill you. You're you're our spy. I just thought it was suspicious. So, okay. So speaking of the Nile, let's let's move on to the Nile. Let's talk a couple things. Let's talk Martian Rowe first. This man and his new pet slash machine slash weapon, the leveler which seems to not only torture Jedi, but turned Loden Great Storm to stone and had him crumble away. And I'm infinitely grateful that this was in a book and not in a comic or on screen because then I would have would not be sitting here talking about it. So um, I would like to say Loden was one of my favorites from Light of the Jedi. I'm but so yeah, sorry. I, I got feelings. So couple questions about what's going on here with Martian Rowe. So when he gets the leveler and they go to whatever world it is, I am blanking on the name, but when they, when they go to the underground temple with his cousin Kufa and they are talking about the faithful from the temple as force users, but not the Jedi. These are like a stark contrast to the Jedi. And then Kufa mentions, as we knew it on Jeddah, as we knew it on Dalna, we mentioned a massacre on Dalna later. So, Assuming Martian and his family are not Jedi, is he force sensitive? Because we do talk a lot about other force sensitive beings in the galaxy, like beyond the Jedi, like the, the Togruta are, are part of that, even though there are Togruta Jedi. Like, My question is, have they seeded the potential for that yet? That's I'm on, the, I'm on the fence out. with, like, I'm completely on the fence with this. Like, I'd be fine if that's the route they go, but I haven't personally seen like the hints to it and i feel like that's something that they would have like sprinkled in in light of the jedi maybe in the rising storm see that's the thing i don't see it either mm -hmm. and i didn't like by the end of wave one didn't think it was happening at all yeah and it was only when kufa started mentioning the faithful that she and marsh i guess she includes martian in this are a part of and they are a contrast to the jedi who have i guess like perverted whatever faith this is of theirs is this just a question of praying to the Force, believing in the Force, and then the Jedi, like, feel they can manipulate the Force? Like, is this their view on it? And they're not actually Force-sensitive? I just thought we they have, were a cult. Yeah, because we have had the people who believe in the Force, but they are not personally Force-sensitive. 
yeah, I think maybe that's like more along the lines of what I thought was happening. Because you're right, like they don't set this up for him at all. And I'm kind of glad of that. Like we have enough of the light side versus dark side. Like, yeah, I don't in the timeline. I don't want that to come here. I don't need another pretty helmeted boy to also be on the dark side. Like he can just be bad for like evil's sake. He doesn't need to be a Sith. <laughs> I agree. I, I actually Another like I know killer too. Yeah. Listen. Well, Asgard deserved it. Asgard had it coming. Wow. He had it coming. <laughs> wow. Y'all. He was Frankly, creepy. He got off a little easy. Yeah. Honestly, he was spared. Yeah. Like it could and should have been much worse. Okay. So before, <laughs> before it could come out after us. Just the look on my face. <laughs> oh man. I wish we were doing this on video. <laughs> Just so I could see. So let's wrapping up with the rising storm. Are there any like, what is something you maybe wish we had gotten more of? Is there anything you wish you'd, we'd gotten more of? I personally think that the rising storm is a perfect novel, <laughs> and actually my number one Star Wars novel overall. And I've read essentially all of the expanded universe. It is also, it's also my number one pick. I think there were like certain dynamics that I'm like, well, if we'd spent more time, not that it's underdeveloped here, because it's all like, it is my number one book for a reason. But I think it's a good problem to have when you finish a book and you're like, I wish that was twice as long. Do you know what I mean? Like that is not, it's not a knock on the book. It is a good complaint to have. Like I could have, I could have read like Stellan and Elzar's dynamic forever. Like I want, could have used more tie, but we're getting more. We're getting comics for that, so I'm not even mad. And of course, I always want more Martian, but I feel like they're building up to something there, so I'm not going to complain about it. Candace, anything you wish we'd gotten in The Rising Storm? It's just my personal preference. It's not like good or bad. It's just like I prefer just more characters, like just stick with just fewer characters so then you really get deep and know them. So it was just a lot. It was a lot. It was still great, but that's just my personal feelings about books. What that's I like. It's completely fair. So, okay, so moving right along to Race to Crash Point Tower. So this one is the what is it called? The middle grade novel. And this happened during the Rising Storm. So like there are moments where the chapters overlap in a couple places that I thought was really, really cute. And this one centers on Ram Jomram, who is the one of the Padawans on Valo. And the other point of view is Lula Talasola and Zine Marala, who are from the IDW comics, which is why we keep telling everybody to read the comics as well. Because it's not that you miss anything by not reading that before you read the book. Like, you can just jump right into it. But it helps to read the comics as well. You get a little... You get a little more. And I recommend doing that now before it becomes so overwhelming. You don't know where to start. Okay. So if you have read the comics, because Maggie, I know you have, were you excited to see the kids come over? And then Candace, because you haven't read the comics, did you find it hard to attach onto Zine and Lula in particular? Uh, yeah, I was, of course, I was thrilled. I have grown so attached to these kids in the comics. Um and I was just like just, just so excited to see them. Um, and especially since we are getting new characters like Ram, uh, I felt like it helped balance it to have like new characters that were they're meeting for the first time and then characters that feel like old friends. And I think that that was a really good balance. Uh, and now actually Ram is in the comics. So he's made that crossover as well, which is really fun. Candace, did you feel lost? You haven't read the IDW comics, right? No, I didn't feel lost, but I do feel like I'm always missing out on things because I haven't read the comics and I'm already overwhelmed with like, I don't know where to start really. Like, I feel like if you're going to pick one and not the other, the IDW are more integrated with the books, whereas the Marvel kind of exist on a, on the fringe. Would you agree with that, Maggie? They don't overlap quite as much. Yeah, I would agree. One thing I loved about these kids that really jumped out at me and I think I texted, texted y'all about it maybe, but The kids in this book actually act like kids. And it's not a given in Star Wars that kids will act like kids. But they actually do. They get jealous of each other. They're like reacting the way a teenager would. Granted, a teenager in a very extreme situation. But a teenager trained to handle an extreme situation. But still, like they are quite young. So I just love 
that they actually act their age. I truly love uh, Daniel and Justina's middle grade books. Like I remember telling everybody like the test of courage is like, honestly, one of my favorites on wave one, The, the kids act like kids, like you're saying, like, it's just so rare. Test of Courage is actually like my favorite of all the books, honestly, so far. <laughs> it's just so good. The characters, again, this is more character focused, so I like that better. But what I love is like these, yeah, they're middle school, but they don't read like what I thought a middle school book would be like, if that makes sense. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think one one big difference generally with the higher public, with the with the middle grade books versus like other middle grade books that we've had in Star Wars is that the other middle grade books that came before this are technically for like nine to 12 year olds, but they're all about adults. So you're kind of telling an adult story in a, in a kiddish way. And sometimes it works and sometimes it works less well. And there is that bit of a disconnect, but because these kids are only slightly older than the kids who are meant to be reading them, mm-hmm. it feels a lot more organic, at least to me. I don't know if you, if no, either I would definitely, like I would definitely agree. So speaking of these kids, so we have Lula and Ram who are Padawans, but then we have Zine who isn't. She is just force sensitive. She comes from a world that mistrusts people who use the force. So she hid that power of hers. And once it manifested, when the Jedi were around, they kind of took her off with them. So I do think it's interesting that Zine's people kind of, feel this way about the force. And then that kind of goes back to Kufa and her whole deal with not trusting the Jedi either. So it seems like there are a lot of groups that feel that the Jedi have appropriated the force in a way that makes it like inaccessible to the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if we're, if this is going to come to a head at any point, because we know the Jedi are around 250 years later. So we know that the Jedi are not going to lose whatever this argument is. And honestly, we only really see like the Night Sisters. Yeah. As the only other possible force users other than like the guards on Jedi. And can yeah, I just, and even even the guardians kind of work for the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And can well, I just we say, do like, see them a lot. Well, every it seems like every culture, most of the cultures have like a version of the force. But it's not like the Jedi. They don't use it like the Jedi. Like, like, that's what I mean. Like, it, other cultures, like, worship it, but they don't use it. But I'm wondering, because we keep seeing this idea come up, like, is this something that that there's going to be some kind of reckoning? Jedis are gatekeepers. <laughs> Gatekeep girl boss. <laughs> uh, but honestly, like, I love that Star Wars is delving into these more nuanced approaches to the galaxy. Like, I know I have personally spoken ad nauseum about the colonizer vibes of the Republic and the Jedi that are like finally at long last being like touched on and maybe not as deeply as I would prefer them to be touched on, but it's enough that like even people who aren't reading from like an anthropologist historical, like I are seeing it. And I love that because I've always thought that star Wars is at its best when there are cultural and political undertones Uh, That's why I think the prequels are so good because there's so much like, and I mean, even the original like trilogy is rooted in political conflict. Uh, Star Wars is not political, Maggie. Stop bringing the ideology into this. There is a really great George (laughs) Lucas interview with James Cameron where he says it legitimately is political. (laughs) Um, But For legal reasons, I was joking. I'm well aware that Star Wars is political and that's part of its strength. Uh, I just... (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I I love that we might be getting something about the Force, which has always been this very ambiguous um, force that penetrates all of us. And I like that maybe the Jedi have co-opted something that was free for everyone. <laughs> I, was a, I wanted to make a dirty joke about Elzar and the Force penetrating, but... I mean, wow. the Force penetrated awesome. Samira on Valo. I know. <laughs> if anybody I like, is using the Force inappropriately, it's Elzar Man. Oh, and he's mastered it too. Like, he is a so- master of inappropriate Force wielding. Multiple acts misusing the Force. Frequently and often. <laughs> okay, but like, not to not to make this about The Last Jedi, but I am going to. Um, Shocking. One, 
everybody's surprised. It's like it's been zero episodes since our zero. Shockingly, it's not going to be about Ben Solo, though. So I do like kind of jumping off what Maggie was saying about them kind of exploring the force a little bit more and how it is this thing that surrounds and penetrates everybody and everything and whatever, that that does sort of go into Luke's point about it not being a Jedi thing. It's an everybody thing. Mm -hmm. And that the Jedi harness it. And I like that that was such an interesting theme to pick up on that the force is for everybody and for the higher public to like kind of pick up on that and run with it. I like, I just love that as a concept. Yeah. That was, that was my last Jedi point. It's got nothing to do with Ben Solo. So last thing I wanted to mention about Race Crash Point Tower before we jump into Out of the Shadows is the Drangir and how wildly different the Drangir are depending on which medium you're reading them in. Mm-hmm. So we've got Into the Dark where the Drangir are so terrifying they sever Des Ryden's connection to the Force. But then we've got the Drangir here and they're like funny yeah, I have found there to be some, I don't want to say they're inconsistencies, but um, the Drengear have been the most confusing villainous creature to ever grow in the Star Wars universe. Um, because when they're first introduced in Out of the Shadows, they're like, they into seem- the dark. Yeah, uh, it's the dark. Sorry, two books about shadows and darkness. It's confusing. Um, they seem really terrifying. And then you have the mainline Marvel High Republic comics where they are like all up in orifices they do not belong in. <laughs> and Insert another dirty joke right here. Yeah. No, but yeah. honestly, the the panels in the comics, like those dirty jokes are apt. I was I was really concerned about where things were going a few times. I was like Star was, Wars with tentacles. Let's I was not expecting tentacles in Star Wars. I guess I should have been prepared for the Sarlacc, but you know, here we are. Um and then we get to this book and they're like humorous. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Why are they so drastically different between the books and the comics? It's it's a, it's a choice. <laughs> yeah, it, That's what I can't figure out is if it's like a question of who's interacting with it. I do get that some of it has to do with the age group being written for because you can't do like orifice it's entering body, it's body you horror can't, you can't do body horror in a middle grade book you can't do torture so thorough that it severs your connection with the force in a middle grade book so you wind up getting very funny drink gear and i'm just kind of like is it does it depend on where they're planted does it depend on how old they are is this just an author thing like this is the one thing in the high republic that changes i find book to book but that was my thought on that. So any final thoughts about Race to Crash Point Tower before we move on to Out of the Shadows? It was fun. I love the stories that are like not quite within stories, but they tell like another point of view or expand. Just enjoy that. Maggie, anything else to say? No. No? Then we're jumping right into Out of the Shadows. So the good. young adult novel. So good. Set a couple months after Vallo. Everybody's traumatized. Um, Lorna D, who we have not talked about at all, but Lorna D really gets her chance to shine in this book. Queen Lorna D, um, is overseeing a new weapon, the gravity's heart, which pulls our new character for this book, uh, Sylvester Yarrow out of hyperspace. She freaks out, goes to Coruscant and is like, I need to report this to somebody and gets caught up in the middle of, of a capitalist (laughs) conflict, with the Jedi there to sort of oversee it. So we do have a lot of characters in this book. So let's go. Let's go slowly. Let's go one by one. So kicking things off, not with Sylvester Yarrow, but with Candace's fave, Vernestra, because she is one of our point of view characters. Yes, I love her. Are you as worried about her as I am? Because I feel like this girl's going to lose it. No. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't want her to, but I feel like she's going to. Well, start with like they wouldn't do that to the kids, but I'm like, no, they've hurt kids before with their words. Honestly, Listen. I wasn't concerned about Vern. Now I want to know why you're concerned about Vern. The only Thank one I, I, the only one I've been concerned for is Keeve. Well, okay, here's why I'm worried about Vernestra and Wraith, but oh no. Okay, so I thought I thought this was like a thing, but okay, if I'm the only one worried about Vernestra, then let me explain. So in at the beginning of Out of the Shadows, when they are on 
Starlight. And she tells Avar that she's like, she shows her modified lightsaber slash light whip to Avar. She's like, have you told Stella? And she's like, no. And she's like, I feel like I should register it with the temple on Coruscant. Avar is like, if you don't want to, you don't have to tell them. And I'm like, well, okay, that's the cool aunt saying you don't have to tell your parents what you did, but okay. So, so she's not being forthcoming with the temple on Coruscant, particularly with Stellan. And we sort of know like the dynamic between master and apprentice is, is a, like a parent child relationship. So she's not telling him the kind of modification she's made because she's not sure what he's going to say. That's one thing. The other thing is like Comac points out, it sounds like Stellan pushed her to take her knighthood exam or knighthood trials early before she was ready, before she had a chance to really get the sense of what a master apprentice relationship is like before she had a chance to really experience stuff. And now she's taken on a student of her own who has empath abilities beyond what she can help him with. And she can outsource him to other Jedi who can help him, but like she's only a year or two older than him. So yeah, they she's are still his of, master. Yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. They're like growing up together. She has taken on the burden of a student that like most Jedi don't do until they're in their late 20s. Like, like becoming a parent. So you, you mean parent. she? So you mean she's getting the Obi Wan Kenobi treatment? Yeah, I was just about to say. I'm like, Obi Wan was like young. I mean, no, actually, Obi-Wan Anakin was 25. Think about Anakin. Anakin. Anakin was only like four years older than Ahsoka. And Anakin's five, five. Anakin's five years older than Ahsoka, but like, he's still first of all five years older than Ahsoka, and second of all, like. That was a very extreme situation that it was wartime. He got a wartime no, no. promotion. Arzu, I'm agreeing with you. It doesn't no, no, end know. well. It doesn't end well, but I feel like this is worse is what I'm trying to say. No, it is. It is. I'm just giving the example that this- Okay. No, no, I, I knew you were agreeing, but I'm like, this is even worse because they're so close in age, because she is like clearly feeling like pressure and doesn't want to be forthcoming with her problems. And on top of all that, we learn now, she has visions in hyperspace that she is trying to pretend aren't a thing. And by the end of the book, like Mari Santeca gives her the final path, whatever that means. And I'm sure we'll find out, but like this, this girl is like so close to having everything go wrong at once. And that's why I'm worried for her. I blame Yoda. I don't know. It seems like the thing to do. It's Yoda's fault. Everything is Yoda's fault. Yeah, no, I, Especially in this book, because she didn't actually have a Padawan. She was with him in the the last book, the children's book. Test of Courage. Yes, Test of Courage. But like, yeah, you. I just feel for her because like she does feel like the water's rising and she's just like, she's just a kid. <laughs> That's a, like, I worry for Keeve and I worry for Belle because of the loss that they are going through. But I worry for Vanessa for a different reason because because of the amount of pressure she has put herself under. I mean, at and least Bell Stella, got a, I blame him a little bit for it too. Bell got an emotional support animal at least. Yeah, like Bell's got that. Keith's got Ember. We didn't talk about Ember. How did we not bring up Ember? Because we didn't talk about Bell at all. Okay, I love Bell and I love Ember and Maggie and Arzu finished the book before me, and I was like, if anything happens to this dog, tell me now so I can prepare. Yeah, we like it's occurring to me that we didn't talk about Bell, but I think it's just because I am so afraid for him. I don't know what he's going to do. Because um, Jedi was, need. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, it's just because he was having such a hard time without his master already, and yeah. Loden was still alive. So now that he not only knows that Loden's dead, but like watched him crumble into nothingness. Yeah. And remember, he was like super injured by the start. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jedi need, like, grief counseling, but I don't think they got that. They do not. So, okay, so the Republic is sus, and this book tells us exactly why. And Candace, I feel like you'll appreciate this because this set off my um, Middle Eastern alarm bells. But Comac and Reef, at the start of the book, are coming back from a mission with a bunch of artifacts to store. So sus. Save the Becker stuff, England. Sorry. <laughs> but that's the thing is they said that they pulled it out of a conflict zone and they will give it back when the war is over. So conflict sus. zone. Oh, I was like, like trigger words. I was like, uh, uh, excuse you. This is really blatant now. What are I'm you like, playing this is at? Very British museum. And as much as I like Comac and I like Reef, give them their stuff back. I was sus. Back. 
I just, I think that I, they're literally checking off every single British colonizer vibes. Like I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Jedi are the missionaries to the Republic's crown. Like, stealing babies. They are stealing children. They are spreading light and life. They're, they're being gifted food when they arrive in places. They're setting up, you know, outposts. It's all there. Like, I'm waiting for them to start building temples out in the Outer Rim. And it's it's all going to be there. Oh, what's interesting, it's like in the OT, the empire is definitely like the British imperialism I felt. Like, especially with all the British accents, but now getting the government in Star Wars is always British imperialism. Yeah. And American imperialism to an extent. Oh, yeah. 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 We we are not the good guys. And, and literally in the original trilogy, America is not the good guys. On the counterpart to the Jedi, we have the Nile. And I think of all the um, times we have seen the Nile, out of the shadows is the horniest. <laughs> Nan. <laughs> Nan. Because of Nan, who who gave us the beautiful line about Martian being being deadly and beautiful, as I, deadly as he is beautiful. Yeah, when I was reading this, I remember texting you guys and being like, "You guys are loving this, aren't you?" <laughs> like, I think it's like page thirty four. Like, we have the page number memorized because because okay, like disclosure for anybody listening, because we got advanced copies of this. Like, we read this prior to the comic, even though the comic, like, technically, I think, came out. Before the book did. So oh, yeah. we got Thank our- you, Disney Publishing. And yes, thank you very much, Disney <laughs> Publishing, for validating us so early. <laughs> thank but you no, so I remember like he says, I am the storm. And I was just wa- rewatching DuckTales for our Geeky Waffle episode. And that's exactly what Donald Duck says. Then <laughs> season. Are you comparing Marshawn Road to Donald Duck? Yes, I am. They both have anger issues. Oh my God. Maggie, back me up. <laughs> I am currently speechless. <laughs> okay, but okay. With the Nile, other than this weird energy that I picked up between Lorna and Martian, and I'm like, did they? Anyway, um, I don't know. Now, in retrospect, I don't think. In re- yeah, post Tempest Runner, I don't think so. But before I think Tempest she wanted Runner, to. No, before Tempest no, Runner, I, think, I was like, no? they had something going on okay, like once upon a time. But can, after can Tempest I do, Runner, like, like, can I do like really mild spoilers? Go for it. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it was more she wanted to be mama. <laughs> she was aiming more for the father than the mm. son. Yeah, that's the that's the Tempest Runner vibe. But here I got kind of a like... I was very confused. I was like, do you want to teach him? Like, what is going like, on here? Did you two bone? Like, did, did you take his virginity? Because that's I, what I thought happened. But, I am um, not anyway. liking the energy in this club tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Neither is Nan. Um, so... But now I feel like Nan and Martian are closer in age, so I'm going to be shipping them. <laughs> I already ship it. I, ship I did it. too, but I was so like, I don't know how old Martian is, but I'm feeling like now mid-20s maybe? Yeah, if he's like mid-20s and Nan is like early 20s, like... Yeah. It's okay. But, okay, with the Nile, like, besides who they are, are or are not sleeping with, um, the organization feels like it's fracturing. And we see a lot more of that in Tempest Runner, which we will talk about in a separate episode. But it sort of feels like they're not operating as one unit. And I feel like that might have been Martian's intent to kind of get it more cohesive at the end of the Light of the Jedi. And it feels like that is not going well. So I'm no longer certain that the Nile are going to make it into phase two. Whereas I kind of thought they'd be the big bad for the whole higher public. I'm not sure they're going to make it that long. Interesting. Because they're going to fight themselves and just. Yeah, like they're not organized in that. But I don't know. Do either of you think so? Did you think they're going to like, do you think they're going to make it all the way to the end of the higher public? I don't know like how they are now, but I think some form of them will be. Well, I think there's some form of them around still like in the OT era. Like, okay. Like the theory of like the, the cloud, what are they called? The cloud, the cloud runners. Yeah. The cloud runners being like sort of descendant from the Nile in history and structure and whatever. But the Nile as we see them now, I'm not certain are going to be the big bad all the way through. 
But I, don't I, know. I still think that they're going to be the big bad. I just think that there's going to be the subplot of the end fighting, which makes for more compelling villains because they're not like straightforward. Like we are the most powerful, like they have their own issues going on. Um, but I, I still maintain the idea that the the Nile work as villains because they force the Jedi to recognize that they aren't actually perfect, which goes back to the whole, what did the Jedi fear? The Jedi fear failing and the Nile are really the only ones I think that are capable of causing the, the, the recognition that the Jedi are flawed because they're so steadfast in their dislike of organized government and the Jedi by extension. And I think they could see those seeds of discord. Um, but yeah, post Tempest Runner, I'm, I'm keen to see what happens. Yeah. Like I, I agree in that the infighting and the sort of imbalance that always seems to exist within the Nile makes them a lot more interesting than I think I was expecting when they announced the high Republic. I'm like, okay, like another monolithic masked villain. Like it's just stormtroopers with a cooler design, but the fact that they have gone to such care to give such nuance to the Nile, to the leaders among the Nile, like we got Tempest Runner, we're getting the Eye of the Storm comics in the new year. So like they really are putting in the work. So it does make them vastly more interesting than, than they could have been. But yeah, I just wonder how, how sustainable it is, especially post post Tempest Runner. Cause this does have to reach a, a boiling point. Okay. So to sort of wrap up, our discussion of wave two of the high Republic. I want to talk about the notion of attachment and how it applies to the Jedi, because, you know, we have the prequel era attachment is bad. We have Elzar man who's like attachment is life. And then everybody else falls somewhere in between. So uh, I think it's Vernestra who says, I think she's talking to Imri, but she's telling him that like Sith used emotions as a weapon, which is one of the reasons the order cautions against things like attachment. So the order does not seem to be super strict on this. And I feel like even in the prequel era, like the order is like attachment is bad, but then also puts you in a scenario where you have to be very attached to another person. So I'm wondering if, if this whole loose approach to attachment is how we transition from the higher public Jedi to prequel era Jedi. Yeah. I think like Elzar man's going to, okay, I need to stop saying inappropriate things or thinking it. But he's going to do something and Iota's going to be like shutting it down. Here, we're going to teach Aspen abstinence to the bad ones. Elzar Man is the reason they get abstinence-only education. But no, this is what I was just thinking about because I was re-watching Clone Wars. And Anakin gets Ahsoka as a Padawan to teach him how to let go. And it's like the opposite effect. And... Yeah, so I don't know what the Jedi are trying to do when they're like, here's a kid, raise them, but don't feel much for them. I just, I have so many problems with the entire functionality of the Jedi because the entire idea of not having attachments does not work when they are literally raising a child, like you're saying. Like, there's no way for you not to form attachments. Like, the people who don't form attachments don't even interact with other people like in religious sex. They like legitimately isolate themselves, which the Jedi do not do. They literally go out and interact with the public. They have PR people who work (laughs) in interacting with the public. And I don't understand how that system works. And I think that the high Republic has done really well with underscoring the problem with that. Like we've seen it in the comics, like really recently Frazala was struggling with fear because, you know, they're taught they're not allowed to have fear. And his master is like, you can't defeat fear unless you know fear first. And so I feel like there's a lot of that being questioned and played with in the high Republic. And I think that's, what's making it so compelling of a story because these things that we know do not go well in the future are also not going well in the past. Yeah. Yoda's not learning from the mistakes of the past. It seems again, I think Yoda Yoda overcorrects. I think that's the problem because like all of the Jedi, like the adults, especially any, like actually all of them will sit there and preach like no attachment, no attachment, no attachment, but they are all very attached to their friends. They're attached to their like, stand-in parents, their stand-in children, like 
they're all, they're an emotional bunch and they're all like really attached to each other. So they'll say no attachment, but I think every single one of them has a different idea of what Yoda that means. Is a is like really good friends with Buckets of Blood and they like share recipes and Yoda's like making cookies for the Padawans. And I'm like, and you're going to sit there and you're going to tell me that you don't have an attachment just because you're 900 years old and everybody you've ever known or love is dead. Well, maybe that's part of the reason Yoda doesn't see a problem with it because he has outlived everybody. So he's like, yeah, these things are like, they're transient. They pass. It's like not permanent. So why would you get attached? And if, yeah, if you've been around for 700, 800 years, like, sure, I'm sure it's very easy to do that. But if you've got an 80 year, 90 year lifespan, like you obviously don't feel the same. Like there's much more immediacy to everything. Mm -hmm. Which makes me now think, saying it out loud, that did Yoda double down on this so much because like that is his approach That's and that what I maybe think. it should have been done a different way. I think so we'll it's see. All Yoda's pro- it's all Yoda's fault. Yep. Okay. Hey, so hey, we're talking about Yoda's attachments. We still don't know how Grogu was, came to be. Just saying. But we do know Yaddle was around. Yeah, we do. <laughs> he showed her how the force can penetrate. Oh boy. Oh, he got some lessons from Elzar. We got to find out how baby Yodas are made, I guess. <laughs> they've got, well, Grogu's only 50, so they've got 250 years to figure that out. 225 years to figure out how to have a baby Grogu. Okay, so. On that note. On that note. On that note, was there anything else either of you wanted to say about Wave 2? And Kevin Scott, we trust. <laughs> but also Cav knows what yeah. he did. Yeah, no, wait. Hey, 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 hey. Great storm. Let's like put them back together or something. I don't know. Like, With glue, just glue Lone Great Storm back together. I don't know, but I was like so excited. Like he was still alive, and I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna have like this great reunion with his Padawan, which he did like reunite with him, but like then he like died like five seconds later. But Doesn't I was like, it suck when there's a reunion and everybody's happy for ten seconds, and then the other one just disappears into nothingness. Yeah, it happens all the freaking time. Oh, oh, God, you made, uh, you did it, you did it. It's been zero episodes. It was right there. It was right there. You're like a 10-second reunion, and I'm like, you know what else was a 10-second reunion? All right, Maggie, final thoughts. I love the higher Republic. <laughs> All right, Candace, anything else? Because I did cut you off to make a Raylo comment. Um, That's the story of my life on this podcast. Uh, yeah, no, justice for Great Storm. Okay, so that was Wave 2 of the High Republic. Uh, Maggie, can you tell everybody where they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. I have a link tree in my bio of all of my various pursuits, which include uh, managing editing over at Your Money Geek, uh, my YouTube channel, Let's Talk About Star Wars, co-hosting on the Outer Room Beacon, and of course... Starbucks Lovers, a Taylor Swift podcast, which you can listen to on the Geeky Waffle Network. And Candace, can you tell everybody where they can find the waffle? You can find the waffle at thegeekywaffle.com, the Geeky Waffle on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Geeky underscore waffle on Twitter, and join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Geeky Waffle for like bonus waffles after dark episodes, which Arzu Maggie and I have all done that get really inappropriate. More so than this did. Yes, like unfiltered completely. <laughs> like the things I wanted to say and I was thinking about, I actually say in those. If you want more from Candace or myself outside of the Geeky Waffle on Twitter, she is Candace is a Geek. I am at Arzu Amin, which you can also follow for all Space Waffles updates. So thank you so much for listening. Everything is Yoda's fault and may the waffles be with you.